Good morning, Kiwaskum. Good to be with you all here this morning. How are all you men doing now that uh, football season is over with? Now that the Super Bowl is done, you're like, what do we do now on Sunday afternoons? Maybe watch figure skating. <laughs> you know, somehow, somehow the chili and pizza doesn't go as good with figure skating as it does with football, you know? Um, hey, I want to take this moment as we just get started here, uh, uh, kind, of a, kind of a prerogative that I have uh, just be, by nature of being up here speaking. I get to talk about what, uh, what, I, get, what I want to talk about. So we have uh, a guy here in Kewaskum, Steve Gleski, and he works at AltoSham. One of his colleagues uh, is a guy by the name of Dwayne Petty. Okay? If you've been watching the news, you know that there's a young man. His name is Josh Petty. We've got a picture of Josh up there. Josh Petty is 21 years old. He, is, uh, he got the flu. You may have seen him on the news. He got the flu, and it, he, it just got worse from that point on. Steve can tell you all the details about what led to what thing, and, and he got infection. So he's fighting for his very life right now. And, uh, and he's, he's undergoing surgery right now to get a new heart valve, okay, at Freighter. And so we're, I want to pray for him. And not only do we want to just pray for healing, but we want to pray that God would be glorified through that healing. Steve is in his family's life. He's in Dwayne's life. And, um, and when Je- whenever Jesus healed people, it always was a sign to point to himself, as, as the Savior. And so that's what we want him to do in this situation. Let's, let's pray, just pray for Josh right now. Father, I can't imagine being the parent of a wonderful, um, healthy, vibrant 21-year-old and seeing him just um, deteriorate where, to the point where it's questionable whether he's going to live or not. Um, so we pray for Dwayne and his wife, family who have moved up here from Joplin, Missouri to, to work at Alta Sham. Pray that you'd surround them with people who love them. Pray that you'd surround them with people who can, uh, who can speak words of life and hope into the life, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we pray that you would be uh, faithful and powerful and reveal yourself as the healer in Josh's life, that he would recover, that he would uh, return to uh, good health, and more importantly, most importantly, that he would come to know Jesus Christ as his Savior, if he doesn't already. That his whole family would follow Jesus with all their heart, soul, strength, and mind to the glory of God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, we are um, in uh, week two of our brand new series that uh, we are calling Unbound, okay? We're going through the book of Romans and... Uh, the contents of the book of Romans uh, has literally changed the face of history. Literally changed the face of history. Um, we're, we're not going through the whole book of Romans. We're just going to go through three chapters, three of the key chapters, like the guts, the, the meat of the book of Romans. Romans 6, 7, and 8. And, um, but, but Romans as a book literally has changed the face of history. It was about 500 years ago uh, when a young a Catholic monk named Martin Luther, read the book of Romans and, uh, and correctly understood it and kicked off what we know as the Protestant Reformation, really changing the face of Europe and, uh, and uh, by extension, uh, the United States of America as well. A couple hundred years after that, a young man by the name of John Wesley heard the preaching uh, from the book of Romans 
And he uh, kicked off what we know as the Methodist movement, which became the Methodist Church, at one time the largest denomination in the United States of America, all because of what he heard and was exposed to in the truths in the book of Romans. And so our prayer and our, our heart's desire as we go through this series on Romans is for all of us as we read and study and go through these uh, powerful and profound passages in the book of Romans is that history would be changed once again. Uh, here in Washington County, here in the city of Kewaskum and in our lives as well as God takes these truths and, and impacts our lives. So if you don't have a Bible, we're gonna, the merits are going to hand out Bibles. I want to encourage you to pay, turn to page, I think it's like 699, 799. Oh, you'd only be 100 pages off if, uh, if you did that. So here in America, we have, this, we have this like love affair with the book of Romans. Okay, if you look at the evangelical church at large, um, you know, historically here in America, we've loved the book of Romans. And maybe it's because uh, in the book of Romans, Paul argues like a lawyer. He puts out this organized, systematic, you know, process of the gospel. And, he, and he, he kind of puts forth this kind of legal brief on the gospel. And it's tightly wound and, and argumented and everything like that. And we lo- we're Americans and we love logic. We love systematization. Did I just make up a word? Yeah, and uh, and and we love you know we we leave with we love when things are logically flowing. There's rhetoric and stuff like that. So we love the Book of Romans because it reads like that, much different than the way Jesus taught, where Jesus would tell a story and then he'd say, "Well, this is, it illustrates a principle." Paul uses logic, but I think there's another reason why we as Americans love the Book of Romans is because there is a theme that runs through the Book of Romans that really resonates with us as Americans. What's What's our, one of our top values, top communal values as a country here in America? What do we value more than anything else? Freedom, right, exactly. We love our freedom. Now, you might be surprised at this, but if you go to other countries, freedom is not one of their top values like it is for us. If you go to a country from the former Soviet Union, you might find that stability is one of their top values. If you go to the Middle East, you'd find that honor is one of their, their top values. But for us, we love our freedom, right? And freedom is a theme that runs all throughout the book of Romans. In fact, John Stott, who is one of the greatest theologians of our generation, just died, uh, passed away a few years ago, wrote this in his intro to uh, his commentary in the book of Romans. It says, its message is not that man is born free. It is rather that human beings are born in sin and slavery but that Jesus Christ came to set us free. For here is unfolded the good news of freedom. Freedom from the holy wrath of God upon all ungodliness. Freedom from alienation into reconciliation. Freedom from the condemnation of God's law. Freedom from the fear of death. Freedom from one, one day from the decay of the groaning creation into the glorious liberty of God's children. And freedom to give ourselves to the loving service of God and others. Freedom is a theme that runs all throughout the book of Romans. And so, uh, appropriately, Dan, who's kind of in charge of taking ownership of this whole series, has entitled this, this whole series, Unbound, as we look at this, the various aspects of the freedom that, uh, that God gives us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, just a real quick background to the book of Romans. Paul uh, never had been to Rome and uh, he didn't know the people in Rome, and so, but he was planning on going through Rome 
on a trip. On a, on a, he eventually wanted to get to, to Spain. And so he writes the book of Romans to this kind of network of house churches that exist in, in the city of Rome and kind of, kind of introducing himself, but also because he's never met them, he's not responding to a letter or a problem or an issue that they have, may have brought up. If you read Corinthians, he's certainly responding to questions and issues and problems that they bring up. This is just a general letter that is just an overall manifesto of the gospel. And so it's, it's wonderful. He argues it out and, and, and articulates it out very appropriately. And uh, if, if you did your homework and you read uh, the book of Romans chapters 1 through 5, did you, did you all know that that was your homework? Okay. <laughs> you'd, you'd, uh, you'd, uh, you'd, you'd, two things would become clear to you, like very apparent to you, is that number one is that we do not get right with God or, we become, or be justified by God by anything that we do. We can't get right with God by anything that we do. That becomes very clear in Romans chapter 1 through 5. The other thing that becomes clear in, in Romans 1 through 5 is that the, the one way, the only way that God has provided for us to become right with him or in a right relationship with him is through faith in Jesus Christ and through the grace that comes through the gospel. That is the one way. And so, um, so he ends chapters, chapter 5 by saying this. He says, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And, uh, and, then, he verse, and then he ends verse 14. This is where he ended up last time. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under law but under grace. Now, Paul, because he's kind of thinking like a lawyer here, he is, in both situations, he is anticipating and he is expecting the, the normal natural questions that people might ask in these situations. And they're basically saying, if God's grace abounds much more than my sin, okay? If, if I sin, if God's grace is always greater than my sin, if we're no longer under law, but we're now under grace, what would be the natural, normal thing for people to ask? Well, what's to prevent me from just sinning it up? You know, if now I'm under grace, I'm not under the law anymore. If, if God's grace is greater than all of my sin, what's kind of to prevent me from sinning with, without any consequences? And what we looked at last week, which Dan explained last week, is, is Paul essentially explained. He says, if that's your question, if that's your attitude, then you don't understand what happened to you when you came to put your faith in Jesus Christ. Essentially, he's saying you were under the cruel control of an evil taskmaster who kept you in slavery and kind of kept you in his dungeon and, and, and poked you and prodded, prodded you and just took advantage of your weaknesses. But one day, this great and powerful and mighty and good king appeared on the scene and he rescued you out of that slavery. slavery. And the way that he rescued you is he killed you and that, so you died to that relationship and then he resurrected you again into newness of life so you'd be free from that, from that old relationship to slavery and now free to serve the new king, the one who freed you. That's essentially what God did for us in Jesus Christ. Okay, And, um, and so he's saying, that's, that's, why he, that's why he alludes to our baptism. He says, listen, that's a picture of baptism. You died with Christ. 
You went under the water, you were buried with him in baptism, and then you anticipate being resurrected with him one day, just coming up out of the water like Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And so he picks it up here in verse 15. He says, he says what then sh- shall we sin because we are not under law? We're no longer under this law system. We're no longer controlled by sin, but under grace. He says, by no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. Paul is saying here, he's like, you are no longer slaves to sin. You've been freed from that relationship. You've been utterly, totally, and completely free from that relationship. You don't have to obey sin anymore. For the first time in your life, you now have a choice, okay? Kind of like, I remember, um, I had the privilege of growing up under the teaching of Stuart Briscoe, who's going to be here next week. Don't come here next week. We won't be here, as Dan said. But uh, Stuart preached on this when I was a young kid. And I remember, I remember a story that he told when he was preaching on Romans uh, chapter 6. He told the story about when he was drafted into the Royal British Marines, okay? He was drafted as a young man, and as a teen, late teenager, into the Royal British Marines and, um, and for the Korean War. And he was under the uh, command of a very strict, okay, I want to get the word right here. It was a, uh, he, uh, he, he, I asked him about it, and he was a, it was an imposing regimental sergeant major. Okay, so he was under this imposing regimental sergeant major. And when this guy said, jump, they all had to say, how high? And then when he said, you know, and they would have to do whatever he said. These are grown men, strong men, would be quaking in fear at this imposing regimental sergeant major who would come on the scene. And as soon as he would come on the scene, their backs would stiffen up straight and they'd start marching and they'd have to do all that. Well, the day came when Stuart was discharged from the Marines. And he got his, his discharge papers. He was in the office. And he walked out of the office. And he was walking out of the base. And as he was walking out of the base, who came towards him but his imposing regimental sergeant major? And as soon as he saw him, what was his instinct? Stand up straight. Oh, you know, got to start marching, you know. And, uh, and then he realized, he realized something. This guy no longer has authority over me anymore. I have my, I have my discharge papers. He's no longer, he has no longer any control over me. And you know what Stuart did? He put his hands in his pockets. He started slouching down. He started whistling a merry tune. And he walked right on by this guy. And no matter what this guy said or did, he could not command him any longer. He was dead to that relationship. And Paul is saying, this is what happened to you as Christians when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. And he's saying, now, 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 why do you want to go back and voluntarily submit yourself back to that old cruel taskmaster? Because when you are choosing to sin now, that is what you are doing. You are voluntarily choosing to obey sin as your master when you no longer have to do that anymore. You are now free to sin. He says, 
He says, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey. Paul here is talking about voluntary slavery. And, and in, in the ancient world, this is very often how it happened. Over, over half the population, up to two-thirds of the population at the time, were slaves in, in, the, in the city of Rome. Okay? And it was a different kind of slavery than what we experienced here in, in our early years. Uh, people voluntarily sold themselves into slavery. If they had a debt that they had to pay off or if they, had, or they just needed employment, they would, they would sell themselves into slavery. Now, the slave masters were a lot kinder than, we, than ours were in this history, but they still owned those people completely and thoroughly. And, and what Paul is saying here is saying, he's saying, listen, when you choose to sin, you are voluntarily giving yourself back to slavery, to this cruel and inhuman taskmaster who once ruled over you. This is the, the picture that Paul is painting here. And he's saying that you have just been, you've just been freed from this miserable life as slaves. Soon. You're now free. Why would you want to voluntarily go back to obey that cruel taskmaster? And he, he, sa- he says, you are slaves to the, one, uh, to the one you obey. And if that's the case, it doesn't matter whether Christ has set you free or not. You are willingly choosing to go back and serve that taskmaster all over again. And he says, the, the result, you know what the result is going to be? When you do that, when you, when you choose, to, choose to, to serve sin as your master, master, the result is always death. James uh, chapter 1, verse 15 says that desire gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Just like the video that we watched, Sean Little talks about his brother. His brother became a Christian, Right? His brother became a Christian, but then he went back and he relapsed into drugs. And the result was that he died. He died. I mean, how much more of a more graphic example could you get of, of this thing that the result of sin is death? Three times in this passage, Paul says this in verses 15 to 23. Three times Paul says the wages of sin or the results of sin is death. And you might be sitting there going, well, Mike, that's a little extreme. You know, it's like just because I choose to sin doesn't mean like I'm going to die, right? I'm granted, I'll, I'll, I'll give you that, okay? But the pathway of sin, when we choose to follow sin, when we choose to obey sin as our master, it, the, the path, that path always leads to death. I had a friend that I knew when I was a missionary in Siberia. He's a great guy. He had a great ministry. And uh, not long after he was in Siberia, because his, his ministry actually flew him all over the world, they could live anywhere they wanted in the world, his family. And so they, they just need to be close to an airport. So they, choose, they chose to move to Thailand. And while he was in Thailand, what became evident is what he was doing in secret, which is exposing himself to all sorts of pornography and all sorts of inappropriate material, just became exacerbated as he was immersed in that seedy underworld culture of Thailand. And eventually he left his family, he left his ministry, and he walked out on on all of them to just go and pursue that lifestyle. And become immersed. This is a missionary. 
His, his, his wife and kids had to come back to the United States. And, um, and eventually they had to do an intervention to get him to come back to the United States. And you might say, well, he didn't die. As Paul said, the wages of sin is death. But you know what? Something inside of each one of his kids died as it eventually led to divorce. You know? And Paul is saying, don't play around with this. Playing with sin. You cannot play with sin and allow it to be inconsequential to your life. There are always consequences to going back and serving that taskmaster. When I was in youth group, I remember a, an object lesson that they did where they had uh, this real thin thread and they, they, called up a, uh, uh, they, they called up a volunteer and the guy wrapped the thread around the, this, this kid's uh, wrists and he said, he said, okay, can you break out of it? And the guy's like, sure, yeah. And they said, okay, I'm going to wrap you up around it twice. And he, he said, oh, now break out of it. And the kid had to struggle a little bit, but he broke out of it. He says, now I'm going to wrap you up in it three times. Wrapped up three times and tied the knot. And the kid, you know, through some effort, freed himself from it. And he said, but by the time he got to four times, five times, this kid could not break free from that. And that is the picture of sin. We think this is nothing. We think this is inconsequential. We think that we can play around with this. But Paul is saying, listen, when you do that, you are going back to serving that cruel taskmaster that you don't have to. You've been freed from that lifestyle. You've been freed from sin. And he said, when you choose to sin, you don't have to anymore. Before, you didn't have any choice. You were just slaves to sin. But now, you're in, now that you're in Christ, you can now choose and you can now offer yourself as instruments and offer your parts here, but as, as instruments to righteousness. Verse 17 says, he says this, but thanks be to God, that though you used to be slaves of sin, see, you used to not have that choice. You wholeheartedly obey the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. Verse 18, you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. This is just a powerful, powerful picture of what God demonstrated in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the people of Israel were under slaves in Egypt, right? They were in misery and bondage. And God powerfully rescues them out of that bondage through, through the Red Sea. On the other side of the Red Sea, they could not go back to that bondage. Even if they wanted to, they were totally and completely set free. And now God says, you are my people. You are, you are my people. I want you to live under my loving rule and reign. And, and I want you, I want you to, to, to demonstrate my character to the rest of the world. That's the picture of what happens to us. We've been freed from sin. We were slaves. We were in slavery to sin. And we've been freed from that slavery to sin, through the, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and now we're freed to offer ourselves to God as slaves to righteousness, to serve Him in a new way, to demonstrate to the world what it looks like to live under the loving rule and reign of God in our lives. And, and when we do that, our lives begin to change. When we realize this, our lives begin to change. Um, can you, uh, I'm, I'm going to skip through a little bit of stuff. Can you just go, go forward to those pictures that I have at the end? We're getting near the end, so I want to wrap it up. Um, several years ago, uh, Kettlebrook was engaged in uh, eastern Congo. 
and we were in partnership with World Relief, and uh, so we had, we'd sent several teams over there over a period of about five years. And one of the first teams that we went over there, they, uh, they went up into the rainforest, and we were on this tour with World Relief. The team was on tour with World Relief, and they, uh, they wanted to introduce us to the Twa tribe. Now, the Twa are diminutive people. They're smaller people. You, you think that that man is standing with some children. He's not. He's standing with full-grown adults, Okay. But they're diminutive people. And because of that, they're vulnerable people. They're outcasts of society. And, uh, and they lived an extremely dark life. But, uh, but World Relief had started some relief work amongst them. And as a result of that relief work, they had started churches amongst them. And, that, that, and they had seen the whole tribe come to know Christ as their Savior. And as our, our group was, was coming up the hill and hiking up the hill, you could hear the Twa people singing praise songs to God. And, um, and the, the World Relief uh, worker was with our group, and he started translating the songs that they were singing. You know what the, you know what the words were? That's so great. The, the words were this. They said, they said, we used to be drug addicts. We used to be alcoholics. We used to beat our wives. But now we have been set free from all of that. And now we are no longer drug addicts. And now we are no longer alcoholics. And now we no longer beat our wives because we are now slaves to the one who set us free. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that cool? What a wonderful picture about how the truths of the gospel and the truths in Romans change people's lives. And I know so many stories of people here at Kettlebrook where the truths found in Romans chapter 6 has literally changed our lives. I think about the young man at our West Bend site who stopped drinking altogether because he didn't like the man that he became when he drank. And he wants to be as the, the father to his children that they deserve to have. And he's, he's no longer slaves to that. He's given himself in slavery over to God in righteousness. I think about the, the couple in Jackson that was on the verge of divorce. And the, the man said in his own words, he says, I was a grade A jerk. I was just a jerk. But he committed himself to Jesus Christ. And they are now reconciled, and now they're growing together. And I saw them together in church in Jackson last week. And, they're ch- and he's being changed because he's, he's, been, he's, he's no longer slaves to sin. He's no longer slaves to selfishness and his, and his own ego. He's now slaves to Jesus Christ. And that's just a wonderful picture of the gospel. What would it look like if we, reckon, if, we, if we reckoned ourselves, if we saw ourselves as being set free from sin and now slaves to serve God. What is, what is one area in your life where you just need to say to God, God, you know what, I've been toying around with this. I've been playing around with this. I have looked at this as being inconsequential and not a big thing. But it is. And the thread is being wrapped around my arms over and over again. And unless you free me from this, I, it will lead to a pathway that only leads to death and destruction. What is, what is one thing you would like to give over to God in your life and say, God, would you please free me from this sin? You recognize that God has indeed freed you and you are now voluntarily offering yourselves back to that that thing. 
Let me just pray, and we're gonna we're gonna take communion as we as we kind of prepare for communion. I want you to think about these. I want you to, if you just need to read these verses, that's okay too. Just read verse Romans, you know, verses 15 to 23. That's perfectly adequate. If you just want to spend time praying and contemplating these questions, what is one thing? Ask God to show you one thing where you need to become convinced of the gospel that God has indeed freed you from this sin. Let's pray. Father God, the truths and the principles found in the book of Romans has changed the course of history and have changed lives over and over and over again. And we would ask that you do it again. We would ask that you would take the word and that it would go down deep into our souls, that it would bear fruit, the Holy Spirit, that you would help it bear, help it bear fruit in our lives. That, that if there's anything in our lives that we're toying with, that we're, we're dealing with, that we think is inconsequential, that's not serious, would you reveal that to us, Lord? And would you give us the strength and the power to just whisper a prayer to you and say, God, would you free me from this? Would I be able to to demonstrate to the world what it looks like to live under the authority of your good rule? Holy Spirit, would you just fill each one of our hearts this morning so that the realities of Romans chapter 6 can be lived out in our daily lives. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.